L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Garcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Garcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season we try to figure out how to grow a teenager in a pandemic. On this episode, we're diving into an arena that has had a lot of families with teens really stressed out, and that's college. And I am one of those parents that is completely stressing out. I have a rising senior, Elliot, who is right now applying to a number of colleges. I remember when I applied to college, and it was very simple, uh, I applied to an arts college that pretty much guaranteed they'd accept me based on my paintings. And I just stopped there. I didn't even want to go through the stress of applying to school. So this is going to be an interesting topic, not only for uh, for me, but for most of the parents listening who have kids who will apply, have applied to college during a pandemic. It's an overwhelming and trigger-inducing topic. So I, I opened it up. I want to discuss it with two different people. Uh, one of them is Logan Powell. He's the head of admissions at Brown, and he's going to share his perspective from within an institution. And then Martin Bonija, the master at college prep, and what his new landscape means for the application process and whether higher education makes sense right now. First up, here's my conversation with Logan Powell. Welcome, Logan. 
Thank you, Allie. It's great to be with you. I'm assuming you are completely inundated and drowning in all kinds of emails and calls about what the hell is going on in college next year. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions that presume I'm a fortune teller. And uh, and so I, I share the frustrations that, uh, that our applicants and parents and incoming students have because they want to know what the future will look like. And, and I wish I, I wish I could tell them, Allie. And I know. I, I try knows, the best Logan. I can. Nobody That's right. Knows. No one knows. And it changes. And even if you, if you know today, it's different tomorrow. Exactly. Well, I'm uh, selfishly, I have a daughter who's going to be a senior next year. And I've noticed a great amount of anxiety between her and her friends about what it's all going to look like. Uh, for them applying. And then I have, you know, I know so many teenagers that are are going to college for the first time this fall, and they don't know what that looks like. This is a huge question, and you can just pretend we're having technical difficulty if you don't <laughs> want to answer. But do you think um, online education is the future for universities? I I think for some universities, it may be. So, you know, with almost any question we're asked about college admissions, the future of college admissions, it depends. Those who can commute to school, those who go to school very locally, those who attend community colleges, an online experience may be the way for them to go. It may be the way for them to go now, and it may be the wave of the future for them. However, there is another population of students who are really largely trending towards our residential experience. So, you know, there, there is a big part of the college experience that is about learning from your classmates. It's, it's not just about what happens in the classroom. It's about those spontaneous conversations about philosophy and politics and economics that happen well after a class has ended for the day. The other part of it that's really helpful and, and frankly critical, we think, um, are the sort of the social educational benefits. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having to navigate interpersonal relationships in some cases for the first time. That's really a critical part of the college experience that you can't replicate online. So I do think there is a future for online education, but I don't think that online education is the only future for probably a majority of students. I think most students still want to go to college. I think I think most students still want to move you know, your your old family, like 300 pound couch up two flights of stairs into your dorm room. I, that's part of the experience. And uh, it sounds exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I, I think, can't wait to go I to Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> that's no, right, I get that's it. Right. I get it. I mean, I know. And I, I think too about a lot of people in um, communities that are worried about uh, a second wave of a virus, another pandemic. And there seems to be a a sense of, well, maybe I won't, maybe I'll stay and go to a state school that way. If there's right. another pandemic, I'm at home, I'm nearby, which I, I mean, I do understand that argument. However, I'm, I believe in the full college experience. And I think particularly for international students, right. they're going to want a full college experience. Um, Mitchell Stevens, who's an associate producer of education at Stanford, said before the pandemic, higher education was in many ways held together by prayer, band-aids, international students, and a lot of debt. So <laughs> there's that wow, way of thinking too. I know it's a, a little rosy outlook, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I'm sure you're getting inundated with parents saying, well, if it's going to be virtual, then I don't want to spend all this money because I'm going to be feeding my kids at home and and housing them. How do you answer that question? 
Well, you know, so far, you know, I can speak in part for what Brown is doing, and I can, yes. you know, say a word about what's happening nationally. At, at Brown, we are making every plan possible for students to be back on campus. Students have the choice to to learn virtually, and and we certainly respect, um, you know, if they have either a health concern, if there's some other reason why they can't be on campus, then we certainly, uh, you know, we, we give them room for that. We give them space to exercise that freedom. But we are inviting students back to campus and we have a plan in place changing from a two-semester model to a trimester model to allow for de-densification, um, a word that you'll hear a lot this, uh, this upcoming academic year. Um, we have the name of my new book. <laughs> there you go. So we have a plan that will allow students to come back to campus in a in a staggered fashion and in a de-densified fashion. Not every school can do that. Now, and I should say, in addition to that, there will obviously be uh, rigorous testing. Uh, there will be the ability to contact trace. We have mm-hmm. plans in place to isolate students who do test positive if it does happen. Courses will will certainly have a, a hybrid component to them. Uh, classes will look different. You know that that right. you know the the large class of a hundred students sitting side by side in an auditorium won't happen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but de-densified classes will happen this year. Students will live in dorms this year. That that will all happen for us this year. As of now. <laughs> yes, I know. Tomorrow, uh, yeah. if we do this podcast, I'm sh- things could change. I, that's I mean, right. That's, that, this is the new normal world we live in, though. That's exactly right. Um, work, work, school. Um, so this includes international students, financial aid students. That's right. Um, yep. Great. That's right. We're in a fortunate position. There, there are other schools who, uh, you know, who who aren't as financially secure, and you know, certainly that's understandable. They've had to take pretty major hits. You, you see, there are some pretty big shocks to the system, um, not just for higher ed, but for for everyone, frankly. And the shocks yes. to the system are you know, really large decreases in revenue that some colleges and universities face. At the same time, you have increased costs for, you know, installing testing and, uh, you know, and all of the upgrades you and changes you have to make on campus. And by the way, financial aid, you know, students now, because their families have taken financial hits, um, you know, on the on the one hand, colleges and universities have lost some revenue uh, because students aren't maybe going to college. They're taking gap years or leaves of absence. And then on the other hand, you have students who are planning to come who need more financial aid than they ever have before, in addition to all of the normal costs you incur. So it's a it's a two part shock to the system that's that's pretty tough for a lot of places to weather. So let me ask you some questions about that. One is, um, how does this work if a lot of students this year say, uh, I'm so excited to be going to Brown, I'm going to take a gap year or I'm going to defer. How does that affect the next group of students coming in? Won't there be such an influx? Won't you be flooded with students and won't you be somewhat anemic next year if everybody's taking gap years because they don't want to be virtual? I think that's the concern that that prospective applicants would have. It's yeah. not a concern they need to have with us. You know, we were very judicious in the number of gap year requests we granted. Mm-hmm. Look, disruptive would be a, a kind a kind term to use for what has happened to mm-hmm. families uh, who are thinking about the college process. So we have returning families we think about, we have incoming first-year families we think about, um, and we have prospective families we think about. And so those prospective families, I think, are in many cases really concerned that if, um, if you grant, say, 100 gap year requests, 
that's 100 fewer spaces in next year's class that are available for, for applicants uh, in that next year. That's not the case for us, again, because we were really thoughtful and cautious about how many gap years we offered, um, knowing that there was going to be some feeling of unfairness uh, to some group of students, uh, you know, who, who might have been impacted. But what we really thought long and hard about was, if you're going to take a gap year, is it a gap year you would have done normally? Uh, because we are allowing students to come to campus, we're encouraging them at this point to come to campus. And, and when there have been, you know, really compelling reasons that we've seen uh, required military service, uh, religious obligations, um, health concerns, all of those things, of course, we are more generous about. What about, but if it's a, what about students that want to do something right now in an activist kind of way to help people that have been affected by the death? by the pandemic. Have you seen that? Have you seen people saying, look, I'm going to take a gap year because I want to dot, dot, dot. We, I want we to help. Do, right, right. We, we do see that, Allie, and, and we appreciate it more than I can tell you. We're in a fortunate position because our first year students at Brown actually don't start until January mm -hmm. and they'll do a spring term and a summer term. And so as a result of that, we've said, please do all the outreach you can and do it this fall. We would love for you to do that. And we have had students who have done that. And right. we hope that they continue that in the fall while maintaining all of the appropriate precautions to remain safe and, and come here ready to go. Are you asking the question in applications this year or in the future, what did you do during the pandemic? Is that going to be a <laughs> An application question. <laughs> it's a it's a good it's a really good question. So you know, thinking about how this disrupted mm -hmm. this upcoming class of applicants, not just the country but around the world, for some of our prospective families, it has been heart wrenching. It, it has, you know, it has had catastrophic consequences for their families, and that level of devastation we're going to see and we're going to be sensitive to, and it's it's going to be difficult to read every time we see it. To I'm be sure. sure. So let me talk about another issue that I've, I'm hearing from my teenage pals about um, pass-fail grades. You right. know, there's a concern now that, you know, they worked so hard, um, done so well, and now in their senior year, the teachers are saying we're going to be pass-fail. And to them, to the teenagers, it's not showing you how much work they've done, how much progress they've had, or the fact that it's an A. You know, it could be a C-, minus, but no one's right. no one knows um i think there's a huge concern about that for them right right i think there are i think there are two ways of looking at it ali i think there's that concern and and we have this here that 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 same concern by the way exists at the college level i mean we have you know across the country we have a group of incoming seniors who are applying to law school business school medical school applying to phd programs who are saying I need a GPA to demonstrate that I'm prepared for graduate professional study or to show my future employer uh, that, that I'm a good student. The, the flip side to that coin, though, is uh, this digital divide that has existed for years that has been exacerbated as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I personally know Brown families where uh, the student has support and resources and has a private sort of space in the home to study. Um, and, and, that, and, and has, you know, two caring and, and supportive parents who are there for them. And I know Brown students who don't have a home to, to go home to. They, right. they stayed on campus because there is no home for them. Right. Um, or, the home, or the home may be five people in a two-bedroom apartment. And there may be no Wi-Fi in their home. Mm -hmm. And so for that student to be asked to perform at the same level they did before, that student who may not have Wi-Fi, who may not have a private study space, 
who may not have the support of parents. Should we ask that student to be judged on the ABCD uh, rubric? You know, some would argue that that's unfair as well. And so I think there are two sides to it. I completely agree with you. I think so much about so many families uh, who have been completely devastated by the pandemic. And I think about families, not only, you know, they don't have Wi-Fi, but suddenly both of their parents are unemployed and they have to go get a job and they have to now support the family unit in a way they didn't have to before. So it's not just about grades. So, I I mean, I think that's fantastic. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The Dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. 
Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back with more Go Ask Alley. The SATs is another thing. I know that you're <laughs> banging your head against the wall to hear this. Standard, but standardized I, I, testing. No one's ever asked me about standardized I'm testing. I'm sure they Allie. haven't. Let's throw the whole thing away. Um, but that's that has a an effect too now because of the pandemic in many ways. Um, that's and right. that's for students of of all socioeconomic backgrounds. So how do you how do you sort of speak to students about that now about the SAT? That's right. College testing organizations, uh, so the SAT and the ACT, they've done everything they can. I, I'm not intending to knock them in any way, but they ha- they also have to be concerned about the health of the students who are coming to take the test. They mm-hmm. also have to be concerned about test security, which is why, in one case at least, there was no testing from home uh, option. They also have to, have to think about reliable uh, internet connections for students who may have wanted to, to take the test online. They have to think about where the tests are offered, if it's offered in a high school. But the, so say, say Ali, for example, they wanted to offer uh, the SAT or ACT in the city of Chicago at a Chicago public school. Well, Chicago public schools aren't open this fall. So right. what then do you what then do you do? <laughs> there, right. there, there aren't there aren't a whole lot of options left for those yeah. students, n- nor for the testing agency. So I don't blame them for this. Uh, it's not their fault for sure. They're they're taking the precautions that they think are appropriate for the students. Though it has resulted in I think widespread anxiety built on uh, on the uncertainty of whether or not. Uh, a test will be available, and then the, whether or not they'll be penalized for not having a test or for having one test when they would have normally had three exactly. or five or mm-hmm. however many they normally would have taken. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is um, is to do the best we can to say, look, we'll take all the information that's available from you and from your school, and beyond that, we can't ask anything more of you, and and we just want you to be we want you to be healthy. We want you to be safe. We want you to be with your family. Take the precautions you need to take. We're going to do the best job we can. And the sooner we all get comfortable with uncertainty, the more at peace we'll be. Even, even if it's not what we want, we'll at least have some understanding that this is the reality we live in for at least a year. I mean, your admissions process this year is going to be something. It's going to be a complete, I mean, really, it's, it's, you're going to have to kind of change all the optics on how you look at an application, right? I, I, to some degree, yes, Allie, yeah. we, we will. You know, certainly the, the core components remain the same, which is to say we always put people first. Um, I, I think I speak for most colleges and universities in the country in saying we should have never made a decision based on standardized testing alone. I think that's not the way to go. I think that's an unfortunate policy. Mm-hmm. That's never been the policy at Brown, and, and it's not going to be the policy this year. We're not going to make decisions based on the presence or absence of standardized testing. Um, it, it, now, in, in this case, I, I should say testing should not have been determinative of a particular outcome. This year, like the rest of the country, we are test optional because it's, it's the right thing to do uh, for, for our applicants this year. 
So it will be it will be different. But I think the key for us is to not hold it against the students who don't have test scores, because I've heard from families with, you know, with enormous resources and students with with no resources who all say the same thing. You can't you can't get in to take a test. I mean, this is affecting right. everyone in the same way. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. If the schools are closed and you can't take the SAT, you can't take the SAT. Um, and so we, we, we realize that and we're going to right. take that into consideration. Right. I mean, which one could say about voting and everything else right now. So right, and right. My, my last question is, um, now that we're all going to be taking virtual tours, um, <laughs> have you had meetings about what that, you know, I've seen your virtual tour now, but I think universities, at least for the next year or so, that's the only way, you know, students that are that are browsing are going to be able to see them, not on foot, not by intuition, but by. That's right this virtual tour, do you feel any pressure to add, you know, put a lot of bells and whistles in your tour? I mean, how do you really show what your university is online? Right. It's a great question. So there, there are all these new buzzwords that you hear related to uh, the times in which we find ourselves living right now. And you know, we talked about de-densification. The other popular buzzword is, is asynchronous or asynchronicity. And so what that means is, how do you offer tours and information sessions to students around the world in many different time zones? And so what we do, our approach has been to offer sort of a buffet of options, if you will. So we have recorded tours that students anywhere in the world can enjoy at any time of day or night um, based on when they're interested in taking the tour. But then we also actually have live virtual tours that are hosted by students that are led by real brown students. I would say, Ali, you know, for any prospective student out there, you know, understand that Every college or university's website is going to be beautiful. Um, it never rains. The snow is always clean. If there are mm-hmm. snow shots, everyone's happy all the time in every photo. Right. <laughs> every college is a Disney movie frozen. I get it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Everything is great. You know, every day is perfect in your virtual tour. So if, if a school offers uh, a live virtual tour, to the degree you can learn something about that school from the students who are leading the tour, I think that's probably going to do more than, you know, the pretty picture of fall foliage that we're all going to show you. Right. You know, all of those images are going to be, are going to blur together, I think. But I think the feeling that you're left with and the people with whom you interact at that college or university should give you some sense of whether you think you should continue to pursue it as an option or not. Now, let me also, if I can add one caveat, don't rule a school entirely in or entirely out based on one interaction with one individual. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. So if you loved that one tour guide, that's great. But if it happened to not go well, don't take it as indicative of every person who is right. affiliated with that institution. You know, I would we say all that about a, a live tour anyway. I would say that, you right. know, a few years ago when I looked at colleges, um, <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I had some dud, <laughs> I had some dud uh, people that showed me around. But yes, I could separate them from the, right. the institution. So I'm going to ask you to do a tiny bit of homework and just say, what are three, what's your three best tips or your best advice for 
students that are going to be applying to college this year? What can you say to them based on the fact that that we're living in this pandemic right now that can be right. helpful to them? Oh, gosh, only three, Allie. Uh, I feel so constrained. Um, you know, I... I <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you have more than three. This is fantastic. <laughs> I, I do. And, you know, but they really center, I, I think they may, maybe they'll surprise you, maybe not. So I would say, you know, be comfortable, be as comfortable as you can with the uncertainty of what this year is going to look like. Um, I would say be patient. Um, you know, there there are a lot of families out there who want to know Again, going back to where we started, what will you know? What will December look like? What will January look like? How about what will tomorrow look like? We you know we don't know. So you know certainly having some perspective that things will be different, being patient in knowing that as soon as colleges and universities have policies or decisions that they can make, um, that they can make them, um, and know that um, you know this year's going to be different, but they're going to be successful. They're going to find a way. To, to be successful. There, look for those areas of support in their lives, whether it's a parent, guardian, uh, you know, teacher, mentor, coach, look for those areas of support and, and lean on those. And then also offer, offer that support to other people. So uh, I'm getting beyond three, but, but Ali, I, I wouldn't focus on grades and test scores. Um, you know, I would say to students, do the best you can and understand that we're going to we're going to be as flexible and as sensitive to how disruptive this year has been as we possibly can be, and to keep things in perspective. Logan Powell, I can't tell you how much you've done for the anxiety for so many parents and students. <laughs> I mean, truly, because you know so. we, we look for every little crumb of of understanding and also to ease our own anxiety about what's going on. You have been very helpful. Logan Powell is the president of admissions at Brown University. Um, I may not have to take a Xanax later. So thank you for that, <laughs> Mr. Powell. Thank you for your time and, and keep doing the wonderful things you do at Brown. And thank you for talking to me today. Well, thank you for the time, Allie. I really appreciate it. And good luck to all the college going students out there. I, I wish them all well. Stick around because up next, I have the master of college prep, Martin Bonilla, right after this quick break. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress 
Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Welcome back. I'm here with my second guest, Martin Bonilla. He is the director of college counseling at the College Prep School in Oakland, California. Martin, thank you so much for being with us. Um, thanks for having me, Allie. Martin, I, I got to tell you, everybody is talking about, particularly if you're a parent, what school looks like for every age. But since I'm talking about a teenager, chances are they are thinking about applying to college or they are applying to college. And so I want you on today to help us kind of figure out what to do about this. How do we apply these days? I mean, pre-pandemic, what were the factors that you advised kids on when they were considering uh, applying to universities? Well, the structure, the infrastructure is still kind of the same. If you can think of applying to college, um, in three general buckets. Okay. The most important bucket is the first bucket. You know, that's, you know, is the student, uh, do they have the academic foundation to thrive, you know, in my college curriculum? Um, so there are those data points, high school, you know, trend in grades, testing, those, those pieces. But once that match has been made, you know, a second bucket, you might say, is support from the high school, the college counselor, you know, who's like, okay, there is, there's Allie Wentworth, there's the high school, and there's Allie Wentworth at the high school. That's the job of the college counselor to sort of capture Allie within the context of the high school, right? That's, that's what they're sharing. Um, and then there's the two teacher recommendations that kind of share what kind of student 
you know, Allie is. Oh uh, boy. In the classroom oh. and the experiences and, you know, what dynamic does she bring right. to the classroom? Can, can she respectfully agree, disagree, et cetera? And then the sort of third bucket is more up close and personal, uh, things like interviews, essays, and the depth and breadth in the extracurricular involvement for the student. That is another you know, set of assessments. So that's sort of the general criteria in which the you know, kids are, are sort of being evaluated. But of course, it's challenging for the college because they also have institutional priorities. Like I have an army of faculty and staff that work here and they have children. So if their child applies, I probably have to take a close look at that. I have alumni children. I have mm-hmm. to look at that. I have athletics. I have to look at that. <laughs> you know, so there are a lot of other factors um, that, that are considered. What happens if they're pass fail this year, which well, my daughter is? For a lot of schools in the spring, there was the pass fail option. But there was still, you know, two and a half years of grades and there's one semester of pass and then there's the senior year, right? So the GPA will be based on two and a half years and not, you know, three full years. And then they'll be like, okay, how are you doing senior year? So that's a, that's a slight change, but the academic performance in the classroom is still the most important criteria. That has not changed. There's also the testing. That is a stressful a component of the process for the kids and the parents because it's something the parents have informed themselves about since sophomore year. I know there are a lot of things I don't control, but I know my kid has to take this test. So we're going to invest in SAT prep and then they're going to do all this practice and like they're ready and then the test doesn't happen. And then they do a promotion. Yeah. May I say, Martin, that I'm actually glad that the test might be obsolete. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I was a very creative student and I did not do well in the test. And I didn't like that I was being judged on that. And I think that there are a lot of students and a lot of parents that don't agree with it, that they think that for some teens, it's it sort of sets them up to fail. So is there a silver lining? Maybe is it a good thing that, that the test might be obsolete or that you don't have to uh, apply with them? Um, I think that there are success stories for schools that have been test optional. So for the bulk of the colleges, it's their first time. Right. And so for the parents, it's like, wait, test optional. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. well, you can, if you take the test and they are scores that you think will help your candidacy, you submit them. And how do you determine that? Well, maybe you go to the school's website and you see what their average is. And if you're within the average or a little higher, Okay, sounds like a good idea to submit tests. If you don't submit them, are they going to assume that you did badly and that's why you're not submitting them? I don't, I don't think they're going to assume that. I'm actually proud of the colleges because they kind of sense the groundswell of stress coming from the testing. And they're like, what can we do responsibly as the adults of this process to take the temperature down if kids aren't able to test? And I think because there have been schools at all levels of selectivity that have been test optional and there's a roadmap. Mm-hmm. My sense is, is that those deans of admissions have been tapping uh, the expertise of their peers who have gone down that road and been like, oh, if they can do it, we can do it. So to, to you know, back to your question, I think it's going to be an interesting few years. I think it's entirely possible that we stay test optional and it's possible that you know, if colleges are able to enroll the kind of classes that they're excited about, 
and testing did not factor into the decision, maybe colleges start to use other criteria instead of testing. Like, you know what? Why don't you send me two or three graded papers? You know, one from English, one from history, maybe one from a world language. Send me a graded science exam, a graded math exam, and I can kind of see your work, you know, and how you're doing. And maybe that becomes criteria and not the big test. I mean, there's no scenario where universities or colleges will come up with their own test, meaning if you're going to apply to uh, Stanford, we have our own specific Stanford test we want you to take. You don't see that happening, do you? I think that's actually a remote possibility. You have a lot of, of loyal alumni, you know, of an institution who want to stay engaged. And maybe the sort of traditional interview used to be the way they would engage. Maybe that they use the the army of volunteers in a different way. It's like, these students have applied and we would like some more information from the student. And we'll, so we've come up with a little one hour test. Um, would you mind hosting that, you know, in some kind of like office venue for us? I do think that is possible. So going back to the, the a point of stress for the parents in that mm-hmm. sort of academic hurdle, right? There's the, how's the pass fail going to work, mm-hmm. right? And then what about, you know, the testing what the colleges are saying, we can go test optional is because we have other tools that can help us. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So when what the colleges have is data, they have for every high school, the kids that applied for as far back as they want one year, two year, three, four, five, and they can kind of see the trends, Mm -hmm. but a more important uh, data piece for them is they can pull a roster of say the last five to 10 years and say, of the kids at high school X in the city of Chicago who have come to my institution, I have what their profile looked like when they applied. Mm -hmm. And we obviously accepted them. They're here. And I have how they have performed at my college, right? So it's how how high schools build reputations, right? If, 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 say, my school, I had five kids at college X and you know, on average, they had a, you know, 3.5, 3.6 unweighted GPA from my school, but they were at the college and they have three eights, you know, 3.85, 3.9 as a group, you're going to say to yourself as the regional person, wow, the, the academic foundation that these kids have built at this high school is really aligning well with our college curriculum. They are a great match for us. They are outperformed. We accepted them for many reasons, but they, and the most important thing, they are really, really, an ex, they are in alignment with our curriculum. They are really hitting a home run. That is how high schools build their mm-hmm. reputation. So I think right. the colleges are going to rely on that kind of data piece. Where it might hurt is I go to a, a most likely a public institution and uh, in the spring I went mm-hmm. past fail and I don't have any testing, and it's a new high school where there's new data, where there's no set like, I right. can't go back and look what's happened. So for, for you know, kids in that situation, I think, in, in, to answer your question, a college might identify that student as somebody they want on campus because all the other factors are so compelling, but they're not sure. So right. they might design some kind of special you know, exam that maybe even is just sent to the college counselor. And uh, I have to sort of proctor that. Now, let me ask you this. 
because of COVID-19, a, a lot of schools are losing money. A lot of colleges yeah. and universities are losing money. And how do you foresee that translating into scholarships and financial aid? Oh, wow. Um, I think the well, the, the well-endowed schools are still going to be able to deliver because mm-hmm. that's just a priority for them. Right. But I do think that there's a lot of schools that are need aware to begin with who will now be even more need aware. And, and colleges might have to make a choice of I need to enroll a class, you know, and, and these families want to come. And, and in this year, you know, they are a full pay family and they're in the ballpark and based on all other factors, I probably want to take more of them. But I also want to round out the class (laughs) and I might see, I might make a strategic decision and say, I've only got, I can take five middle class kids and offer them 10,000 or I can offer one kid 50,000, right? Because that's what they, that's what they need to come. Right. I think, I think when you're in that bracket and you're trying to fill a class, you're like, this is a year where, you know, my hands are tied. I have to offer, you know, 10,000 to these five families because I have maybe one or two or three of them will come. I could offer 50 for this one kid and I don't even know if they'll come. So from the college side, I think they are dealing with what we're dealing with, uncertainty. And right. if they can have certainty, I know you want to come. Um, I know you can pay. And, you know, you're not, you're not going to break the budget that leaves, you know, money in the bank for me. Um, I, I think that community is going to do well in the but next th- I mean, that, that changes the whole diversity of those upcoming college classes. You know what yeah. I mean? That should be incredibly worrisome for us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what has made college... Um, so attractive to kids is right. Like if you just go to the website for any, you know, private, uh, relative selective school and you go to their admissions website, one of the things you're, you're, you can click on is like, what is the profile of the incoming class? Mm -hmm. And the colleges are so proud, right? You know, you have the little map of the U S and it's like 50 kids from California and 20 from Minnesota. And like, right. They're showing you, it's like, we have all 50 States represented 10 to 12% of our kids are coming from outside the U.S., from 300 countries. Right. And, you know, 20% are first in their families to go to college, right? Like they're telling you, it's like this, you know, is, is what we have to offer. I think that's going to be harder. Having geographic balance might be something that is sacrificed, but I do think as far as things like diversity of voices and experiences are still going to be valued. It's an institutional priority, you know, for the colleges and they will work very hard to have that kind of balance in the class. I think it'll change for some middle, for some middle-class kids. I think for my parent community, I try and get them to focus what they can control. I help them identify, you can control, you can't control who's applying early decision. Like, is this a good bet? Traditionally, but we don't know what the fall is going to look like. Everything's a little bit of a risk. But, you know, Mrs. Jones, here's what you can focus on. And what are you telling Mrs. Jones? What can we control? I'm telling Mrs. Jones. She's like, look, Martin, you're so funny. Ha, ha, ha. I've come to your sophomore parent night. And then I went to your junior parent night. Oh, Mrs. Jones loves you. (laughs) 
Yeah, we're just, uh, you're giving us appropriate doses of, you know, like what we should be thinking about. But now I'm here and I'm a senior parent and I need you to tell me what to do because I don't know what it is. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I've told you that this is a process where you have to allow your child to step into the spotlight Mm -hmm. and you have to kind of take a step back and that can be hard. Number one, be a champion for your child. Don't be a critic right? They're very sensitive right now. So like, don't insist on reading the essay and being like, you know, I really couldn't sleep. But in the second paragraph, you use the word galvanized. And I think this word might be better. That's not helpful. So think it just, just support your child, cheer them on and just say, you've got this. I have full confidence in you. If you need me offer help, but don't insist on it. Um, I tell Mrs. Jones, that she needs to see her relationship with her child evolving. She's used to being the manager, but the kids are not dealing well with directives right now. They're trying to be a little more independent. Mm-hmm. So I tell Mrs. Jones, just start thinking of yourself more as a consultant for your child, not as the manager. So just speak. It's like, oh, what happened at school today? Oh, that happened. I had a similar experience at your mm-hmm. age. Here was, here was the scenario. Here's how I handled it. Here's how it worked out. Um, good luck. If you need me, I'm happy to share other things as opposed to you need to do this because okay. the relationship is changing. Even with me, when I first start working with the kids, I give them colleges and I give them things to do and they're like, well, you're the college counselor. So I'm just going to do what you say. But now when I give them stuff, it's like, I'm going to take that under consideration. Thank you for suggesting those three schools. I'm going to do my own research. I will get back to you and tell you how I feel. I'm like, perfect. I Great. like that. What are you telling parents? Um about uh, virtual tours. A lot of students weren't able to go see colleges this spring. And so they're basically choosing off of, uh, you know, some made little film or some, you know, visual utopia that they're seeing online. That's not really visiting schools. It's not visiting schools in person, Allie, and you haven't you haven't gotten to the, you. This would have been your summer, right? Yeah, I was your, supposed to do that. Yeah, right. You know, get a so, get a rental car and just drive around and look at schools. Sure, I mean there is a benefit to that, uh, but tr- truthfully, it's like my kids have like they have to make a case. Why is the school going to be on my list? Why is it not on the list? And they have to kind of prove it to me. And it's work. And they're like, oh, Martin, post-COVID, it's so much easier because I just go to, you know, Bates College, you know, admissions visit and they have an open house and I click and I put my headphones on and, you know, someone gives a live presentation, which leads to a live tour, which then leads to if you want more, You know, you can sit in on a student panel. You can, like all that research you wanted me to do, I don't have to. I just take notes from the virtual experiences. So the shopping part is easier for the kids. So that might stick, right? I mean, I'm going to miss getting fried clams at Friendly's and the whole ritual of driving with my daughter, but you're making me feel better because I, I really thought we were at such a disadvantage because we didn't actually, you know, stomp our sneakers across the grounds. I think, you know, when I worked in college admission, I'd spend like two months traveling around the country, rental cars, hotels, food, all that. (laughs) Colleges are going to save a lot of money. And so Um, will parents, by the way. And so will parents. So I think this is, this is, this is a good thing because it also 
there are so many families that do not have the opportunity to exactly. visit colleges, period. I did not see my college. You know, I yeah. just didn't have the resources for that. So I think it's a good thing. Overall, it gives everybody access. What is that criteria that you tell your students to consider when narrowing down what colleges they want to apply to? I kind of break it down for them into three components. One is, you know, they should look at the history and the philosophy of the school. Um I always tell them to do a, a Google map. Like, what does it take to get there? Is it one plane <laughs> and a taxi ride or is it two planes and a bus? Like that's, that will have an impact on them. Things like size and location. So just basic facts mm-hmm. uh, of the institution. But the second part is more specific to the student. What are your current academic and intellectual interests and how will those interests be served at that institution. So that's when they have to dig into like the academic program that the school has. Does it have a core curriculum? Does it not? Is it really unstructured? You know, how is that going to affect you? Um, are your majors there? Are there special opportunities academically? So they kind of like, oh, I have to see my, oh, so you're telling me, Martin, I have to see myself. How will I satisfy myself academically at this mm-hmm. school for four years? I'm like, right. What will your four-year academic plan look like if you go here? Will it serve you well? They're like, great, got it. And then the third part, it's a little harder to do, but that's, you know, what kind of kids are you going to be surrounded by? That's that's difficult to assess, but there are places to look for clues. Um, you know, I tell the kids, what are your current, you know, not, you know, non-scholastic interests are like, well, I like Science Olympiad and robotics and, you know, Shakespeare. I'm like, great, let's look at the full menu of activities at that institution and try and find yourself in these clubs. So when we pluck you out of your lovely home and our, our nice, warm, fuzzy school atmosphere and pluck you down in small town Illinois, what resources are there at that school where you're going to be able to recreate your community of friends? Is there going to be a soft landing? Um, And then also a good other place to get information is in the student newspaper, which tend to be, you know, independent from the institution. And I don't tell the kids they have to read all that, but I'm like, what are the headlines? What are the letters to the editor? There's a calendar of events. They can kind of see what's happening. And you will learn something about the community, even though you're not physically there. And then I tell them, it's like, okay, like based on tw- this 20, 25 minute fact-finding exercise, what is your impression? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't know. Give me more information. That's sort of a first, first uh, review. Excellent. And what are you, okay, so we've gone through the shopping. Now, application-wise, what kind of advice do you have for parents? How about, how about concerning the essay? I know you're saying don't micromanage them, but should they change? Does the subject change now that we're in a pandemic? I guess the all the big advice I have is like maybe don't write about COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now we're in COVID, and an instinct might be like, I'm going to tell the college like what happened to me, but it's happening to all of us, right? And if the essay is supposed to come from a unique place, um, that's not something that's going to be unique. We all have you know, that story. I mean, there's so many other things going on yes. in our world right now that it just might not have the, the effect, impact. Yeah. The impact. So I would say we all had stories pre-March and maybe but good advice would be to sort of dig into those stories and those might reflect better on the kid. And then just as far as parents, college counselors are well aware of the voice of, of, the authenticity of a 17-year-old voice. 
apparent reading the essay can cause more stress. Yeah, uh, can yeah. No, I'm I'm completely hands off for that reason. Um, right. I want to ask you a question, Martin, because you know we've we've heard uh, a lot of cautionary tales about um, social media in terms of college acceptance. I, I have a very naive question as a parent, which is. Do they, when they see, let's say, Insta stories of a lot of partying, a lot of alcoholism, um, or uh, sort of inappropriate behavior socially, does that have an effect on their uh, admissions? Oh yes, you have because if it, because if it's also like right, you were overserved at a party and somebody recorded you and you said something inappropriate. Um, that can easily be be held against you. And again, from the college point of view, what do you know? My parents asked, like, what is it? What what is it about activities and these recommendations? I'm like, well, your child lives in your house. They live in your house. But yeah. what you're asking is like, I want to come live in your house for four years. You're going to be the parent, right? You're going to come live in my house for four years. And guess what? As the college, I want well-behaved children. So that's that's important. Yeah. You yeah. have to remain a good citizen, not just of your school, but beyond. All right. Now, I, I've gotten so many great nuggets of wisdom for you. And as we end this conversation, are there any more big headlines or big bullet points of advice you can give to parents in the oh, application yes. process? Yes. Let's yes, hear that, Martin. I would say, <laughs> um, right now, I'm just going to take your situation, Allie. You probably you probably have an extended family, and your partner probably has an extended family. And because your daughter is going to be a senior, everyone's going to want to be in their business. Oh, you're applying to college. Where are you applying? Why are you applying there? These are the schools I like. Why aren't you applying to that? For these kids, it can be a very personal process. It's a very personal journey. So I think it's important for parents to like protect your kid and help them pivot in those uncomfortable conversations during the holidays, even if it's on Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, that's great information. Thank you so much. Just pivot, you know, redirect the conversation, but the parents can be very helpful um, in redirecting that conversation. Um, I think a, something very important to me as a college counselor, it takes a lot of work to get kids to 10 to 12 schools to apply to that are well-rounded, that we are protecting them and has a certain amount of reaches. Right. If you can imagine a pyramid, you know, four schools, three schools, two schools, one school, one super reach, two good reaches, three probables, and four high probability schools. That's great. That kid is being set up for mostly good news. That's a good thing. But it is important for parents not to flip the pyramid the other way. Right? Like it's like, yeah. oh, one high probability, like we're just we're, we're real risk takers. That's really hard. It's easy for the parents to want that. It's hard for the kids emotionally to, to look at the selectivity of the group of schools on their list and go, wow, wow, this is, this is you know, hazardous yeah. <laughs> emotionally. Like, I'm yeah. stressed. So it's important for the parents to respect the well-rounded list. And also, it's a responsibility, I think, of the parents to celebrate all of the schools on the list when they are identified. So even if a parent doesn't know, you know, about a school, it's their job to go get intelligence on that school and talk about that school. You know what, darling, you like that school. I found out a friend of mine, you know, their daughter went there and she said great things. And I went and I did the tour too. And like, it looks really cool. And I can see why you like it. They have to talk about all the schools because for the kids, 
that validates the score for them. Right. And I think, you know, self-care, we talk a lot about self-care in this pandemic. Um, the families who I think have handled uh, COVID since March really well are the families that turn self-care into family care, waking up at the same time together and going on on walks in their neighborhood and then coming back and having breakfast together instead of dinner, right? Setting up mm-hmm. the day. And then, you know, some families have taken uh, language classes together, you know, for an hour. It's like, oh, we're going to do French together. Or we're going to go garden together. We're going to build a shed together. And we'll see in the opposite where there was a Chaos. lot of unstructured situations. Yeah. And I would be talking to some, you know, kids at, you know, noon and they were just waking up and I was like whoa what happened oh, I was watching Netflix till you know and, and they just yeah you know which by the way I think that was okay at the beginning of quarantine because I think that a lot of kids needed to everybody was scared there was a lot of stress they needed to kind of you know go go inside a little bit but I agree with you that after a couple weeks of that everybody had to kind of all right you know, how are we going to structure, like you said, how are we going to structure our day? How are we going to structure our life? And basically, I'm I'm saying it's okay to me because I let my kids do that for a couple <laughs> weeks, you know, because yeah. I was kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. I think one other last anecdote, especially as you get closer to like the kid has applied and they're going to hear, is that um, they feel like, oh, what if I don't get in? They're going to be so disappointed. You know, it's probably a good idea for parents, even starting now, to start sharing, you know, times in their lives when things didn't go their way. I didn't get into all my colleges or I really wanted that job at this agency when I got out of college and I didn't get it. And so I made a left and, you know... Yeah, they just they think it's been a smooth road for you. And oh, Martin. Oh, time. Martin. I have so many stories. <laughs> my children, they know. I think, I think it's helpful for them just yeah, to absolutely hear that it's going to be okay and that things will happen. Martin Bonilla, thank you so much. This was so incredibly helpful. A pleasure, Allie. Thank you for including me. Thank you to my guests, Logan Powell and Martin Bonilla. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, and follow me in my undoctored posts on social media. I'm on Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. Go Ask Allie is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 